0: Welcome to the Unfair Advantage podcast for church planters. My name is Andy Wood, and I'll be your host. Our goal with this podcast is to help you win early and finish strong. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're so grateful that you are joining us again for the Unfair Advantage podcast. Today, we're going to have some fun together learning from Ray Johnston, the founding pastor of Bayside Church just outside of Sacramento. Such a fantastic conversation about momentum, preview services, how to get a great start as a church, so much wisdom. I was listening to this conversation. I could not take notes fast enough, so I'm excited to re-listen to the conversation with you. Now, before we jump into that conversation, though, I want to make sure you know about our host of Food for the Hungry. Food for the Hungry is partnering with churches to help people who are in poverty. They have some great resources and would be a great organization to partner with if you go to fh.org. Also, uh, we are partnered together with the Art of Leadership Network and the Art of Leadership Academy, and the Art of Leadership Academy is putting together a bunch of resources to help church planters and pastors go further faster. Uh, it's been founded and started by Carrie Newhoff. So if you go to theartofleadershipacademy.com, dot com, you can sign up there. Carrie's put together some great resources there, and we do want to say thank you for partnering with us on this podcast. Also. Uh, We're partnered together with The Ascent Leader. The Ascent Leader was founded by Sean Morgan. Uh, The Ascent Leader excels in cohorts and several different podcasts from leaders in living rooms to craft and character. And all of their information can be found at theascentleader.org. And in particular, uh, you can get more information about the cohorts there. And I'll talk more about that on the back end of our time together today. Now let's jump into this great conversation with Ray Johnston. Well, hey, everybody. I'm here with Ray Johnston, the founding pastor of Bayside Church and also the president of the Thriving Churches Network. Ray, it's great to be with you today. Hey, you too, Matt. Good to see you, by the way. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun to talk about church planting. But uh, before we go there, I'd love to hear a little bit of uh, what you're working on right now, what you're excited about, and where God has you. Oh,
1: man. Um, <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on that. Um, we... Everybody, everybody's sort of going. Let's reopen, and I we have told all the churches we get to mentor, um, let's not just reopen, okay? Um, let's rebuild better than it was before it shut down. And I, we, I just generally felt like COVID is like this once in a hundred and twenty year opportunity to change the church. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you know, before when you try to change the church, you get shot at. Now, I you know. I mean, the church has already, already been messed up. So it's a little bit like let's dream up and let's let's rebuild the Christian church, more biblical, more compassionate, more unleashing of compassion, younger, more relevant. I mean, it's a chance to rebuild and just, just to dream some dreams. So that's occupying a lot of our time. And um, and the other thing is that we've we've sort of gone. COVID killed more than COVID killed a whole lot more than people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Covid killed everybody's ability to dream. COVID killed most people's ability to think there is a future. Mm -hmm. COVID has destroyed unity in the church. Okay. I mean, we're the divided States of America and the Christian church is now a divided thing. When the guy we follow called us to be Mm -hmm. one. Um, And so we've started, we've started dreaming along like, like, Pastors um, need to learn to breathe again, hope again, live again, and lead again. How do we help them do that? Okay. Um, You know, four million people have quit their jobs every month for the last nine months. That's never happened in history. And, And a lot of them are pastors. And so we're going, there's huge changes. And so you start dreaming, going, what kind of church do we need to rebuild? Um, in order to reach this whole new generation that has been shell-shocked by 24 months of craziness. That's really good. By the way, and the other thing, Andy, is this we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I was, I have been really concerned about the Christian church's relationship to the Bible. Okay. I mean, the the Bible can survive being banned, burned, it's outlasted every critic it's ever had. However, the Bible doesn't do well when Christians do two things, when they ignore it or change it. To make it more politically correct, or support their political causes, okay, and and so we came into this year, and we actually did this with almost no with almost no um, notice. Uh, we got up and announced in six weeks we're doing a Bible conference, and I mean it was like a global Bible conference, and um, and ran it su- every night, Sunday night through Friday night. And I thought, man, man, maybe nobody's gonna come. It was packed. Other buildings were packed. We had multi, we had remote parking and um and we we threw it online. It went to, oh gosh, it went to 35 countries, every state. And I, and I went, man, I think for some reason, people are starving for the button. And I think that's a really good sign. I just think it's our job to give it to them.
0: Yeah, that's really good. What were some of the things that came out of that that you, you're excited about? Oh, Part of this is this. We, part of that was we
1: realized people are starving for conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, COVID trained everybody to stay home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know about you. We're not 100% back yet on any of our campuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, most, most churches aren't 100% back, especially if they have a church near them that basically, replaced Jesus with Trump and played politics and stole some of the Republicans. Okay. They're tend to do a little bit better on that kind of stuff um, depending on how they handle that. Um, we're not hundred percent back. People are, so, our, our, by the way, our children's stuff is, our youth stuff is broken record, but it's not So we went, you know what? Let's, let's actually work on creating something that when it be, being in the building is so life changing, it makes it worth it to get off your couch. And so some of that is we're going, the worship's got to be more intense. The spirit of God's got to work more in people. We've got to unleash more of God's word. Um, we changed a ton of stuff. Um, you know, like instead of one sermon, we do a message on the weekend. We're actually doing book studies. So, we're, you know, we're in, the Gosp- we w- we're in the gospel of Mark. Um, the, we, do, we did the gospel of Mark. We're in first Corinthians right now. And, but we started a thing called the Wednesday, Bible, Wednesday night Bible study. And anything that we don't cover on the weekend we tape and put it on a Wednesday. Thousands of people are tuning in that thing. We can't, we can't wow. do it. And so I, it's really an interesting season for the Christian church. Um, and so I, which I think the opportunities to do some really cool stuff are, are there. But we've got, and we've got, I'm an old guy. Um, we have got to make sure that we don't create something that isn't biblical. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know a lot of people going, we're just going to do an online church, okay? Which, I would love to do because it's so much easier. And you have to, you have to deal with people. So, all this kind of stuff. Problem is who visits these people? How do they get, you know, Jesus said, we're two or three gather. And I'm afraid some of this online stuff, which I'm in favor of, some of this online stuff, if it replaces gathering with staying in my living room, would is going to be very unhealthy relationally um, and emotionally for people going forward
0: and not the
1: church at its best.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. There's, there's something about the, when you're gathered, even the, the manifest presence of God and that those encounters that people are having when the Holy Spirit is like moving in power in the room. And there, there's just so much, I haven't had one person that's come back physically say, Oh man, I, uh, I I wish I had stayed at home longer. Like everybody that comes back, they're saying, I wish I'd come sooner uh, because there's, there's something that happens in the room. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about your, so you, when did you guys actually launch the church? What year? Oh man, whatever 25 years
1: ago was, 96, 97, somewhere in there. And, um, and, um, and it was started. I did not want to be a pastor. Um, You got to be crazy to be a pastor. I call them the three A's. You get too much attention, too much affection, and too much attack. And none of that's good. Mm -hmm. And, and we, and I was having a great time writing, traveling, training, mainly mentoring and traveling leaders and, and speaking. And we had two copycat teenage suicides at Granite Bay. And four people began to pray that God would raise up a church that would attract teenagers. And it's, it's, it's kind of a cool longer story, but that That over six months caused me to get in and cost us to go space Side.
0: Wow, now, it seems to me from from what I know about you is that you are you're pretty entrepreneurial, fast moving, kind of zero to one. Uh, has that been your mojo since you were young, or did that start to emerge later in life? No, no you know what's funny is,
1: it's funny. it's come about later. Now, if you would talk to my wife, she'd go. Well, he's always driven his car that way, um, but but the when I take the strength, have you taken Strength Finders? I have, yeah, yeah. If you're watching this, go take it. It's online. You grab it. It's, it's fascinating. It'll give you your five top core strengths. My number one strength is maximizer. Okay, that's good. It's really fun because I like like I walk into churches to consult. And I'm in the worship service, I've got kind of stuff. And the only thing I'm doing is going, how could this, this is amazing. How would it, how would you make it even better? I'm kind of wired like that. I do that with like our sermons, even the way we prep sermons. We prep sermons as a group and then you give it on Saturday night and everybody, everybody beats it up. So by Sunday morning, it's better. And, and so when we launched the church, I went, I went, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but let's at least dream some big dreams. And uh, another way to put it is this. I actually believe three things happen in this order, okay? Um, Nothing great ever happens without fresh vision. Mm -hmm. Fresh vision for the future. And by the way, that's chapter one in everything in the Bible. Joshua, here's fresh vision. Nehemiah 1, here's fresh vision. Fresh vision comes to people that have hope. When somebody's hope level, it's why I wrote a book on hope. When somebody's hope level rises, then they have the condition where they can catch fresh vision, which it makes amazing happens. Okay. Now to get hope, you've got to recharge your spiritual batteries. So I actually think when somebody's spiritual batteries get recharged, then their hope level rises. And what that happens, they catch fresh vision about and off they go.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I'd say this, I'm not sure I've ever dreamt that big or moved that fast, but the more my spiritual batteries get recharged and and by the way you have spiritual batteries emotional batteries leadership bat- and I'm glad you're doing this this will recharge people's leadership batteries when your spiritual batteries or your batteries get recharged your hope level rises then you can catch fresh bigger vision and then you're off to some great days I mean you know every great thing that ever happened in the Bible started with fresh vision
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so so and and the older I've gotten I'm more I'm going what do, you know what do we got to lose let's go after it
0: mm-hmm if somebody had asked you on day one, uh, what what would it look like if it went as well as it could five years from now, what would you have said?
1: It wouldn't have been about numbers. Um, it would have been, we are, there are several things happening in our area, okay? Like the Christian church should own Christmas, which means, Which means like when we launched, we basically said, let's own Christmas. That's our holiday. Let's take it back. Okay. So the second one was, let's own, let's own Easter. That's really our holiday. And the third one was, let's own kids. And when we launched based on, we literally said, we don't care if we drop the ball with the choir, which we have. We've never had one. Um, We want, we will not drop the ball with kids and teenagers. Mm -hmm. And, and so we're a church. (laughs) We started church we're in this tiny little elementary school um, and after a few months we got about about 140 people. the elementary school is the ugliest thing you've ever seen. it's lime green walls. Our stage was was six milk crates to be supplied with that was our stage okay we had we had a music stand that we used for the quote pulpit and then you're too young to even know what this is We had an overhead projector that they put song slides on. And, um, matter of fact, the denomination sent us 200 hymnals. We gave them away and used one of them to prop up the overhead projector. And, and we start, we start this church and and it goes to about 130, 140 people. And it's about, it's, I don't know, I think it's eight to 10 weeks old and summer's coming. And I get up in front of our whole church and I say, we, the kids and teenager thing, we said, we want to own kids and teenagers. Okay. Um, matter of fact, if somebody is taking notes, write this down. Whoever wins the kids wins. That here it is. Whoever wins the kids wins your community. Whoever wins the kids wins the future. Whoever wins the kids wins the battle for values. Whoever wins the kid just wins. So we went, we, now we are sucking air just to put on a service. And I got up and said, we are going to do a week long kids day camp this summer it's not VBS. It's like VBS on steroids. And everybody's going to have the shirt, all this kind of stuff. We're going to train you. And I looked at our church and I said, most of you only been here about six, eight weeks, but we need you all to serve at this thing. Here's the week. We want you from eight to 12 every day. We're going to prep you. And, and we, so in our, our attendance, at, you know, we basically were 140, 140, 140. And it was just, it was 140. Okay. Summer arrives. Um, we broadcast this thing to the neighborhood. We put door hangers on every door, kids' day camp. Uh, we, we actually called the thing Breakaway, had all these killer pictures. And, um, and what happened is we had 170 kids sign up and come to this camp. Well, most mo- – this is the maximizer thing. Most churches end their day camp on Friday. We ended ours on Sunday morning. And so all 170 of those kids came to church, all wearing their T-shirts, And their t-shirts were, and they all got on stage, which was a disaster because it was a, you know, we we didn't have enough milk crates. And they all got on stage and the worship for that service, they just sang their breakaway songs. That was worship. And and then they all flooded to to children's ministry for the first time because they'd never been there, most of these kids. Well, all their parents came, their grandparents came, and we started a series called, I'm writing a book on this right now. We started a series called Raising G-rated Kids in an X-rated World. Out of that, and uh, and what happened is this: our church was going like this, plateaued, 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 plateaued. Whammo! Our first kids camp blew it sky high, and it's kind of been growing ever since. Wow! And and so when somebody goes, "Is it preaching? Yeah. Is it this? Yeah. But I'm convinced, man. Whoever wins the kids wins everything, and you'll never be told that seminary.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah." One of, one of the other really cool things that you did um, that I've heard you talk about before, you were one of the first people to do preview services. Yeah. And I'd love to hear you uh, kind of unpack that. And was that, was that an idea that somebody else dropped or did you kind of think of that on your own? How did that come to you? No, yeah, you know, it's funny. I a buddy of mine named Dave Olson and I, Dave's awesome. Um, Dave and I,
1: um, he was sort of a church plant guy and he, was, he, he and his wife Shelly became our best friends. We would just sit around and invent stuff. And so you know, the when we coach people, we tell them church planting should be in four stages. By the way, if you're watching this and you're going to plant a church, write this down. Um, stage one is core group gathering. okay, And that's where you're going. Uh, we're just gathering a core group and we're meeting people, doing whatever. Um, stage one is core group gathering. Then stage two is core group development. That's where you develop the core group. You train them and you train them. You figure out who's doing children's, train that, all of this stuff, okay? And and you train them, okay? And then stage three, we call it preliminary worship, okay? And you're basically going, we're starting to meet every week. We just haven't actually launched yet. Most stores open early, okay? Mm -hmm. And then stage four is you do a grand opening, and then you launch and then you do a grand opening and then you go public and it's public worship and off you go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, each of those stages should be generally three to six months long. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's a longer process. Matter of fact, every time I speak at a church plant conference, uh, one, I, I do an eight hour deal at the end of the first hour, half the room comes up and go, what do you do if you launch too quick? And Uh, three out of every five churches in America dies and it's almost all low birth weight. And, and, and so, so you're going, it's three to six months of gathering core group, three to six months of core group development. But during those seasons we did preliminary. I remember, I remember this, we did two prayer meetings when we first launched one had 25. The next one, it skyrocketed to 26. I, I actually, I told the guy with me, I said, There's no need in this area. This, I said, let's do it. Let's try a service. See if anybody comes. I don't think anybody's coming and we won't do this. And my buddy goes, okay. And then we literally said, I went, what are we going to call it? we both went, Dave said, why don't we call it a preview service? So we actually, Dave invented the name. So we went, he sent it out. He said, okay, we actually had to name the church Went with Bayside. We sent flyers to the whole community and social media didn't exist And we sent Flyers to the whole community, you know, new church opened up. I arrive at this tennis club we'd rented and it was, it was, and we, we were set up for about 80 people. I thought only 40 are coming. So I take down half the chairs, 162 people show up. I have no explanation for that. And we get, the sermon is straight out of Ephesians chapter uh, two verses one to 10. At the end of it, I thought, I think a bunch of these people aren't Christians. Because they were pretty sharp looking, and so I thought I'm going to give an invitation, and so I give a crystal clear invitation, and and half the room raises their hands, indicating they've prayed and received Christ their very first ever service. The problem is, at the end of that thing, I was like, um, hey, thanks for coming. We don't actually have a church, so I actually said at the end, I said, we'll do this again in about a month. We'll send you something. And um, so we did it a month later, moved to a school. It went to 226 people. It, it leveled to about 140. Uh, we got a school and then, but it was off we went until that first thing happened and boom, then it blew up. But it was the preview services were gold because you've we did we did a preview service to draft people into the launch team. And we just said, "Hey, if this is the kind of church you're looking for." We followed up with everybody. We would love to have you do something. And I actually had a phrase I used all the time. I said, "I said some of you are the kind of people where you're going. I'm not going to pick up a bat until the ninth inning when the game's already over. Some of you, though, are wired to go. Hey, man, it's the first inning. Let's make it something great happen. Give me a bat. If that's you, we would love to have you as part of this church."
0: And um, and people just dove in early on. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's interesting because a lot of um, there's so many great church planting organizations now, but a lot of organizations are kind of down on the whole concept of previews. Um, and we we did previews. You know, my wife and I planted two churches, um, and we did previews in both of them. And it, what we saw was, you know, you pick up a good number of first time guests every time you do it. If you do some kind of marketing or mailers there are people that they get it the first time and they think, well, I, sh- I should go, but then they decide not to go. So you immediately hit them you know, with that marketing again. So it's like a snowball that just really has a powerful way of building, especially if you're inviting people into that, that core group or launch team as you move through that process.
1: Yeah. It, by the way, Andy, that's smart. I, um, people have got to be really discerning about mm-hmm. who they listen to. Because I, I would go, a lot of times people doing training these days, um, you got to ask the question, are they a constructionist or a deconstructionist? Mm-hmm. Some people are going, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, do that. Why? Because it worked before. Okay. And they think I had invent something brand new. Um, I tend to think people need to go, wait a second. What are the outcomes I'm looking for? Mm-hmm. Because once you figure out what the outcomes are, there's a million ways to get there. Yeah. What I'd say is if your outcome is... We need to give a whole bunch of people an opportunity to come be with us, see what we're like, and then maybe dive on board. A preview service is a great tool. It's just a tool. And so I'd go, so, if, but if people are going, no, we have enough people already. We want oh, anybody else, then don't do it. But for us, those things were gold. The The real, the big deal in this is you got core group gathering, then you got core group development. The huge one was preliminary worship. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because what happens to most churches is this. They go from stage one to stage four. They gather a core group and launch. And they launch, and it tends to be pretty small. And everybody's looking around going, this is a church of about 100. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as that's what you aim to stay at. Yeah. Uh, when we launched, we had 100 and something people. Um, but I actually took those four stages and put them in the program every week. And I would get up and I would say, hey, this is incredible, people. We haven't even launched yet. We haven't had a grand opening. We're not in public worship yet. This is preliminary worship, and we already have 140 people. Mm -hmm. It's a huge psychological momentum difference in having 140 people as part of a launch team, or that's our church. Yeah. And, And that's huge. The only the the most discouraged church planters i know are people that are going instead of doing pre- preview services every few months or weeks or whatever it was they actually did they went gathered a core group and launched and then every week with not very many people they are setting up they are tearing down i mean it's it's painful
0: yeah the other implication of this that i think is is worth considering for church planters is the location in terms of the part of the country that the church plants in and One of the things I've noticed is like for, and this, we need great churches everywhere. So many people that need to be reached. Uh, But there are, there are places in the country where people tend to be a little bit more open to going to church. And if there's not another church like the church that's being started in a community, they're going to, they're going to get a lot of that low hanging fruit from people who probably are already followers of Jesus. But when you go into areas like where we are in the Bay Area or where you guys are in Sacramento, it's it's a it's a very different dynamic and kind of outside the Bible Belt and uh, I've just seen a lot of the guys that we've coached. I, this whole concept of, of previews is so helpful. Um, one other thing I want to double click okay, on quick, that. Quick quick side side. Can I
1: insert this? Yeah, yeah, go for it. People come to to guys like you and I, and they go, "I want to
0: do what you do." That happened to you? Like, yeah. Oh I yeah. What's, what's the do? What's the bullet? What's the secret sauce? What's exactly. the exactly? And and I go. Hey, look, you
1: may want to do what I do, but you don't want to do what I did. man. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife and I got an education before we, we went in front of Raley's, the, just the supermarket Raley's and had a couple things, set a table down with some candy on it for the kids. And we spent all day long interviewing everywhere that walks in. And they, when they came walking up, I said, Hey, do you have time for a 30 second survey? Most people will say, okay, it's just 30 seconds. And, um, and they, and and I I said, I, I said, are you an active member of a local church? And if they, if they said, yes, I said, great, keep going there. Have a great day. If they said, no, I said, you're obviously a really smart person. Why don't you go to church? And man, I got a day long earful and I took notes on every single thing. Hmm. And then the third question I said was, is there anything a new pastor in this community to do if they started a church that would attract somebody like you? And All of them had an answer. Okay. Sometimes the answer was nothing, but a lot of them said, if you will help my family, if you will help my kids, if you, you know, it was, it was, it was basically help my family and help my kids. Mm. And so when people start thinking about what kind of church should we launch, I don't know if you saw the movie Darkest Hour, the Winston Churchill movie. Oh Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, man, when the King went to him and said, go listen to the people. Mm-hmm. That's a really good thing to do occasionally, and I—I I mean, I didn't want to stand in front of Rayleighs looking like an idiot for eight
0: hours, but we did, and we got—we it was like an education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. The that tenacity in conjunction with the teachability, the uh, the other thing too that is so evident, you know, the confidence. There's a, there's a unique balance between confidence and humility, yeah. and what what hope would produce is if I truly believe that the gospel is good news and I truly believe that the tomb is empty and I truly believe that God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, then I lead differently. So I lead with more confidence, not based on my capacity, but based on the fact that I'm joining this eternal mission that nothing has been able to stop for 2,000 years. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. I think... There's a couple live wires. If you hook them together,
1: you get a lot of power. Um, it's confidence and uh, humility. Mm-hmm. If and 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 by and large, most strong leaders like me, like you, like maybe folks like, um, if somebody's a strong leader, they need to learn to listen. And 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 the and so, um, matter of fact, my wife and I, when somebody goes, Okay, Bible says husbands ahead of the home. What does that mean, Ray? And I mean, uh, maybe you get to pick out the TV. I don't know. The but I'm going. I'm going. My wife and I. We same thing with home and church. We have the green light model, which is if I think something's God's will and she doesn't, I haven't heard from God yet, and vice versa. When we both get green lights, all of a sudden there's unity. We go forward. Great things happen. Um, When I'll put, we'll put our staff in a room and we'll go. What are we going to do? And we tend to not go forward unless the lights turn green. And and when they turn green, then you go. Uh, same thing. We formed a core group pretty early. Like we had monthly core group meetings. Okay, And most of the time, I would ask the core group questions. I would give them, you know, like the the, the we, did, fact, we just did this a few years ago. I said, I'm going to get our congregation involved in, involved in the sermon process more. So I passed out about two pages of future message series. And it, it was things like Unleashing Hope was one of them. Um, Satan's Greatest Lies was one of them. The Book of Rome was one of them. Um, Major Lessons from Minor Prophets was another. I, I literally said, let's listen to our people. So we passed it, we passed it out to everybody and said, vote on three of these, and we will tell you what your top three vote getters are, and they will become the next thing. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. we will preach those three series in order. Man, people's engagement with the thing went sky high. Um, same thing, like when somebody comes in and goes at Bayside for momentum. What would the? What's the most important thing you do for momentum? I'd say that's easy. People support what they help create. Mm, that's good. And and what I it took me a long time to learn this, but this little there's there's shared vision or that's a vision that's shared. And I spent too many years going out, coming up with vision and coming back and sharing it, which meant I had to talk everybody into it and they felt manipulated. If I get them in a process where we discover the vision together, then it's their vision too. And because they support what they create, they'll serve, they'll pray, and they'll give to make it happen. And so the most important two days a year for us were these years. We would get about a hundred of our core leaders. And we did this, we probably did this for 15 years. We got a hundred core leaders, and I said, "I want you on Sunday night, and Monday night, and maybe Tuesday night if we need it." Okay, so all Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, and, my, and I said, "If you can't come to the whole thing, don't come." And by the way, we, we looked for three different groups. We looked for for opinion leaders, financial leaders, and ministry leaders—people that were shoulder responsibilities. So we got the really hundred core people in the church together, and we put them at, we put them around tables and. And we asked questions of them. We said we usually asked five questions. Question one was, what are we going what should we do in the next year and a half to two years to reach our community for Christ? Question number two, what are we going to do to disciple our people? How do we grow our people deeper spiritually? Question number three, how do we how do we get people who are seeking God to serve God? How do we get people actually serving and using their gifts? Us? Question four was what are we going to do to unleash compassion in our community and around the world? And question five is: Got any dreams? And they it, they would around a table, and then we also did a whole bunch of celebration stuff. Um, by the way, this takes an hour to train somebody to do. So this is a over. I know. I'm
0: I'm I'm so glad this is being recorded because I can't write fast enough.
1: Yeah. This this I, there's a whole bunch of other stuff you do in this day that maximizes it. Okay, um, but. What we did was we were around tables, we would have, we would give them all a big pad of post-it notes, a huge pen, and we would say, now your table only gets five ideas out of this whole day. What are the top five things about those five questions? What are the top five that you're going, we, God wants us to pursue this? And you write one on each piece of paper and you pick the most passionate, persuasive person at your table and you send them up you got a line of these people down there and they all put them up. Okay. And then they, like a lot of times they will categorize there's different, you know, it may be 50 things on kids or teenagers or let's launch whatever it is. And then you give everybody five green dots and you unleash them. You say you can put all the green dots on one category. You can put all the green, you can spread them out. You can buy them from people if you want. And, and, I stand back and in living, I love this moment, in living color, I watch the stuff that's on the hearts of God's people turn green. Mm. And then, and then I usually do this in somewhere around four churches a year. I go in and I, I just did this in classical. i You lead these people through this process. And then you say, now I didn't ask your pastor for permission, but here's an envelope and here's a card. Okay. And I'm going to challenge you all to give above and beyond what you normally give in the next 30 days, a huge sacrificial gift to this church, because this is going to, these, these three to five new things, they're going to cost the church. They don't have the money in the bank. They'd already done it. Uh, We did it in Marin County a while back and people gave, I think it was $375,000 in 30 days above their time. And they hired two pastors and launched two brand new things. And this church started growing for the first time in a decade. Wow. And so, but it's funny, people support what they help create. That's massive. And I kept coming up with vision, going home and selling it. The matter of fact, that got so ingrained in me. Um, we do a thrive conference up here. The smartest pastors, they bring teams, they bring their staff and they bring every, I, when we were about year three, we'd grown to about a thousand people. We were meeting at a, uh, at a high school and, um, Our people started going, we're getting too big. And they were whining about all kinds of stuff. And none of them ever seen a big, they hadn't seen a church this large, much less anything else. And so Willow Creek was the only game those days. And so I called Willow Creek and I bought bought 35 tickets to their leadership conference kind of by faith. Stood up in church, described it. And said, I'm taking a team of people. If you'd like to come, this is going to be amazing, blah, blah, blah. You got to pay your own way. You got to pay your own flight. You got to pay your own hotel. We'll all be a hotel together. But we're going to go to catch fresh fish. All 35 sold out. So I bought 35 more. I bought 35 more. And I took 105 people from Bayside on year three to Chicago in February, which is never God's will. <laughs> and, it's and the wrong we, direction. <laughs> we oh, No kidding. And we went to this leadership conference they walked in and they went, 120 acres, a lake. Look at this worship center. Look at all these people. And what happened is it took all of the ceilings off these people. Okay, And they were like, because most people can't dream what they haven't seen. Hmm. And all of a sudden they saw something different and they went, whammo, check this thing out. And I kept meeting with them there. Like I brought Heibel's in for about 15 minutes, said, hey, talk about this. I kept doing that. Same thing happens at our Thrive Conference up here, and and the but then you take those people home and dream, mm-hmm. because all of the ceilings have been blown off, and they'll dream. it we came back, and it's never been the same. It's so good. Most people, the only thing they've ever seen is the church they're in, and they can't imagine anything bigger, which means they don't pray for it or pay for it to happen. But once our people saw something big, now, if you're a pastor, you got to be secure to do it because this is 20 something years ago. I know they were all sitting there going, you know, if we could just leave Ray here and bring that Hybels guy back, we'd be in better shape. Yeah. Um, and so you got to be, you got to be secure to do it. But man, I, I, by the way, I watched that happen at our Thrive conference. When people bring in teams, they, they ignite. The other thing is they're like locusts. They steal everything. Every brochure is gone. Every, everything's gone. It's kind of a cool thing. When's your next Thrive conference? It's uh, May 5 and 6. Matter of fact, if you have, if you or anybody listening has any needs, send them to Andy and then get them to me. We are, we are re-envisioning the whole thing. We basically, the way we've done Thrive before is we're going, um, our goal is to recharge your batteries and give you so many ideas, you catch fresh vision from God for your life and future. Mm-hmm. Um, on this one, and so we pretty much went. We unleash six speakers in these massive general sessions and worship, and comedians. Then we have about seventy seminars on everything from speaking to business to you know all, youth ministry, all that stuff. This year, we took the general sessions and we went. What has COVID killed? Everybody leading needs to get back. And so the first session, we just wrapped this up about two weeks ago. The first session went COVID killed everybody's dreams of the future. So we're bringing in Bob Goff and he's opening the conference with one title, dream big again. So the whole theme is dream again. And the word keywords again, then we went, we got to be honest with people. So the second session on that Thursday is Carrie Newhoff coming in. And it's ten trends, distru- ten destructive trends, or ten disruptive trends, that are destroying you, your family, your church, and your workplace. And then how to bounce back from that? Okay. And then that evening, we're doing a thing where you go. The church has never been this divided. Rising levels of hate are everywhere. It's being fueled by social media. And so we've got two people speaking on the subject of let's. We need to learn to love again mm-hmm. and I restore unity. To a marriage family church, and then that's Thursday, and then Friday, um, the um, Friday we're kicking off the we're we're actually wrapping up the conference with Mark Clark, and it's the whole theme of hope again. Then then you back that up to Friday afternoon, and Friday afternoon, um, Friday afternoon is gonna be amazing. Um, We have four speakers speaking back to back on the on basically the disrupt the, the, the disrupted family. Mm. And here, here and here's the problem. Most people, well, some social scientists are actually saying there is a the the Great Resignation is going to be followed by the Great Separation. Mm. People who are walking away from jobs in record numbers are going to be walking away from marriages in record numbers. We're going to take an entire session and go after that. How do we, how do we prevent it? What do we do to help couples? And there's going to be some things in there about, you know, mandate madness. I mean, and how do you protect your kids in a new world? Uh, So good. And so, so each session has got some stuff like that. And then the, and then the, and then Friday morning, we're saying the only way things are going to get better is if great people lead again. So the whole thing is lead again. And it's, uh, we have 20 minutes. Rick Warren, myself, Mark Clark, and I don't remember the other one is on, on the subject. Lead. We're basically going to challenge people to lead again and unpack it. So, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a kick to dream up stuff. Um, you know, because in a sense COVID was the great pause
0: button. Mm -hmm. So now you get to dream. So good. I, I feel like every time I listen to you or I'm around you, my, my ideas just start popping. It's like God, God's given you that gift
1: to oh, generate
0: that in other people. I'll give you a whole bunch of ideas it won't work. So <laughs> <laughs> Hey, let me let me finish with this one question. Uh, kind sure. of a, a, a random different direction, but um you know, one of the th- one of the concerns with church planting is the number of people that plant churches that shouldn't plant churches. Absolutely. And I'd love to hear you double click on what is it? Like what is the character trait or the reason or the things that somebody who's considering church planting should think, ah, this is probably either a yellow flag or a red flag for me to plant a church? Man, I just
1: walked a guy through this last Sunday. I preached at a church in Southern California, and a church planter was there. We sat down between services, um, and I pretty much told him, you should be doing something else. Um, and there, there's complex tests you take. You know, go to an assessment center, take a bunch of tests, um, the disc test is a really good one to take. They, they, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, do you th- do you have a disc profile that you think is more yeah. ideal? If somebody's the disc thing, I think you've got to be high I or high D. Uh, mm-hmm. well, hi, high D, high I, high I, high D.
0: Yeah,
1: tends to be something where you're going. I, the, what's funny is I broke it. I I sort of took the whole thing and broke it down differently because we have so many leaders around here. We've had to sort of position them. And so if you're listening, just keep asking yourself the question: Which am I? Um, If you're wired to lead, you wake up in the morning and you ask, you reach for one of four things first, okay? You reach for a steering wheel to lead and direct, or you reach for a microphone to speak, okay? Or you reach for people to care about them, develop them, connect with them, or you reach for a laptop to organize the whole thing and to make sure it's done in a God-honoring way and right, okay? So leaders tend to grab one of those things first But then they, most leaders grab more than one. Okay. Most people are really good at two or maybe two and a half. Okay. And and by the way, if you break it down, like, you know, Bill Hyde, obviously he reached for a steering wheel first. John Ortberg reaches for a microphone first. Okay. The, uh, I mean, everybody's sort of wired to grab something first, something second, or, or they're, they can even be pretty close. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, church planters, church planting tends to do better if somebody is a microphone steering wheel person that actually does pretty good with people. Okay. Um, the, um, I was with a guy the other day, a great guy. I'm like, on this is amazing. Okay. But I asked his wife, what does he grab first? A laptop. Okay. And people. And I'm going, man, somebody else should be, Casting vision and communicating, firing everybody. And you should be making sure everybody's doing well. And in a sense, he's a great staff guy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but it is really, it is really going. And and my advice to everybody is do most what you do best. I mean, Mm -hmm. if if you're going, then you'll be much happier. You'll be much more effective. Way too many people climb the wrong ladder Mm -hmm. only to figure out it's, it's the wrong ladder.
0: Yeah. So, like, which ones do you grab first? Uh, I grab the steering wheel first and the microphone a close second. Yep. And then I'm, I'm guessing you're good with people, too, because I like you. Well, <laughs> well I, I'd like to think so, but, you know, not not everybody likes me. Well, anybody leading anything.
1: Who was it? John Maxwell said, if I'm leading, I'm going to make somebody unhappy every day somehow.
0: Yeah. people People who don't do their jobs usually don't like me, but... <laughs> That's not a bad thing. <laughs> well said. Uh, well said. Yeah, this has been so good. I feel like we've gotten about four or five uh, seminars out of this one hour here. So, Ray, thank you so much for helping us with the Unfair Advantage Church Planting Podcast. You are right on the front end of this thing. And we, we said from the beginning we want to help church planters win early and finish strong. That's and great. there was a, there was enough in here to chew on for a really long period of time. So thanks so much, Ray. That's great. Thanks, Andy. By the way, if anybody wants a free resource, all they have to do is grab their
1: phone and text the word refuel to 56316. We have a daily three or four minute devotional that goes out basically to lift leaders. And um, it actually, it's kind of cool. It goes all around the world. It'll get texted you every morning at seven in the morning. Awesome. And Thrive Conference yep. is uh, yep. website? It's May 5, 6. It's
0: Thursday, Friday, first weekend in May. And you can get that online. It's Thrive Conference. Google, Google Thrive Conference, yep. Bayside Church. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, what an incredible conversation with Ray. Thank you, Ray, for investing in us. So much wisdom. A couple of things I do want to highlight that Ray talked about. Uh, he talked about this idea of preview services. We found previews here at Echo when we started to be incredibly helpful. And a part of what makes previews successful uh, is previews are an opportunity for people to preview your church. And people who maybe aren't ready to be committed, they'll, they'll come to a service, they'll check it out, and you can invite those people into a launch team. So we did a series of four previews before we launched our church, and then we had comeback events. After the preview services, we invited people into those comeback events, and those comeback events became the foundation for our launch team. Now, there are a lot of different ways to start churches, but in more unreached areas uh, where people are typically not church, we have found this to be a very fruitful way of getting the church off the ground. The other uh, thing I would love to harness from Ray's wisdom is this idea of working together in collaboration with others. And I have found in my journey of leadership and watching literally hundreds of other church planters, one of the most crucial decisions a church planter makes is the people that they put around the table with them on their team. And when you get in a room and you're planning, you're strategizing, you better you you better hope that you've got the right people in the room with you. And I want to encourage you, you're looking for several key character traits. You're looking for people who are bold. You're looking for people who have faith that God can do the unthinkable. You're looking for people who have solid character, but they believe in the vision that God's placed inside of your heart. You know, one of the the greatest tragedies I've seen in church planting is people getting a year into the church plant with their team and the team they brought with them uh, had an entirely different philosophy of ministry than they had. So y- you want to lay out on the front end, what's the vision that God's given to you? Be really clear about that so that people know what they're signing up for. You don't, you don't want to surprise them six months in with the kind of church plan or the model that you're going to use. And then those relationships that are around you on your team are crucial, but then outside of your team is the people that are supporting you. So people that are investing financially and investing their resources to pray for you. And we'll we'll spend some time talking in the future about how do you raise resources to have a fully funded church plant. But on the front end, um, the relationships that you are make a huge difference. And I found in my journey of planting a church, I found it to be very helpful to be partnered together with other church planters. And that's why I'm so excited to continue to encourage people to get connected into the cohorts that we're launching for church planters through the Ascent Leader. So we've got our first cohort that is launching at the end of May These cohorts are no more than nine church planters gathered together. Uh, They'll gather together three times over a one year period of time. They'll travel to a mentor's house or a mentor's church in their city. And we have three mentors. So I'll be the first one at the end of May from Echo Church in Silicon Valley. And then our second one will be in Boston with Sean Sears. And he planted their Grace Church. It's done a great job reaching thousands of people. And then finally, Yoda himself Steve Stroop uh, the lead pastor uh, originally the lead pastor of Lake Point Church founding pastor of Lake Point Church is going to be leading that conversation all along the way Mike Hickerson will be our coach he'll go to each location with the church planters and it's going to be a great group we already have some fantastic leaders that have signed up we have a couple more spots want to encourage you to go to the ascentleader.org cohorts uh, to hear and get more information about our first cohort for church planters. I hope that you found our conversation today helpful. I want to encourage you, if you did, to make sure to subscribe, share with some friends. If you know a church planter, uh, let's get the word out. We, We want to help as many church planters as possible win early and finish strong. So thanks for joining us for this episode. Until next time, we will see you on the next episode of the Unfair Advantage podcast for church planters.